Over the last couple of weeks, I've noticed, especially on the various networks and news and things, that some of preparing for the coming year and things to look out for, things to be mindful of. And basically, the idea they put forth was kind of looking at things and not, uh, not be afraid of it, not afraid it might take place. And and as, as I was hearing those things repeatedly, I was, I was mindful of one things that, that I read in the Bible many times, and uh, at least you find Matthew's account, here they look at Mark's, but it's also in Luke's. There's different times in the Bible we find events that have taken place that some are interesting and some are a little bit scary. And Mark 5 is one of those things that's a little bit unsettling when you read about the, the demon-possessed men, as Matthew points out, we'll talk about later, how he says there's two men coming out of the tombs who are possessed by evil spirits. Now, I've seen a lot of scary movies over the years. I enjoy them from time to time. Um, if you ever watch scary movies with me, you might find it pretty enjoyable because I'm one who jumps and makes noises when something pops out or whatever it may be. Um, but Mark chapter 5 is one of those occasions where it is something that is to me, at least, unsettling when you read about men coming out of the tombs. There's a reason why a lot of scary events in movies sometimes center around, especially in horror movies, center around a cemetery. Because cemeteries, at least in the evening, are known for some to be many places kind of scary. There's no place you can really go and spend time. It's a scary place to be, and usually there because they're mourning over someone who had recently passed from this life. In Mark chapter 5, we read about two men. Mark only talks about one. We'll talk about why that, that may be here a little bit more. But in Mark chapter 5, we read about this occasion where two men come out of the tombs who are possessed by evil spirits. Sometimes they're referred to as evil spirits, sometimes they're referred to as demons, as a reference to the same. Uh, same thing. This morning, the show we can do when confronted with frightening or uncertain times. As we look at Mark chapter 5, we begin with the situation. It's one that is unpleasant. The Bible tells us that these men have made their homes in the mountains and in the tombs. And Luke points out they had no house, meaning they were constantly dwelling within the mountains and the tombs. But as we will read through this in a moment, we'll find a they put the head about a place that's very scary, very frightening, that no one ever came by that area because of these individuals. As we look at Mark chapter 5, look there in verse 4, we find the conditions of these men. In Mark chapter 5, again, Mark only points out one, so we'll talk about him here this morning. The Bible says, And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the uh, uh, Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs. Now again, Matthew, Matthew 8, 28 says that there were two men. And it's possible that a spirit possessing one man spoke for both men, meaning that one man just spoke for, the, for both of them. Now, as we know here in the moment, we'll find that even though it mentions here how this man had an unclean spirit, we'll find that as Christ asked the question when he later, what is your name? We'll find that actually there were lots of demons dwelling within these two possessed men. He wore no clothes. 
at least to my mind, to be uh, one who is very detailed. God says, when he had stepped out on, on the land there in Luke 8, 27, there met him a certain man in the city who had demons, plural, demons. Luke again mentions a plurality, not just one, but many demons. You had demons for a long time there, verse 27, and he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. I mean, if you wanted to find a way to make a Hollywood movie, you not idea for it. I mean, Mark 5, Luke 8, that's a pretty good, scary idea. And what's interesting, if you, if you would carry it out biblically, it still is a very scary, uh, scary event that took place here. A man, he had multiple evil spirits, multiple demons there, verse 27 of Luke chapter 8, has had him for a long time. He wore no clothes, we know what that means, he had nothing on, which is already something which you know, cause you to stay away from that person. He did not live in a house, but in tombs. So he's outside in tombs and also in the mountains, as Matthew will point out here as well. And he's wearing no clothes, he has multiple demons, he's been, been possessed for a long time. That's a very interesting situation, isn't it? Now we go back to Mark's account. Again, and, and you can find he had no clothes, lived in no house, but in the tombs. And we continue on here, we look at the latter part of verse 3, and also looking at verse 4. And no one could bind him, not even with chains. Now some might say, well, you know, chains in the time of Christ, probably not the same as ours today. Okay, but these guys were not exactly remedial students in creating chains. What do you think were in the prisons? Chains. What do you think were in their prisons? You mean the shackles were there? Yes. These men had moved individuals and prisoners for a long period of time, so they knew how to make a chain properly, correct? We don't know what force in which those chains could withstand, but he used them ideally because he cannot pull them apart. A normal human being cannot grab a chain unless you want some crazy bodybuilder and just pull it apart. They're made to last. You need a chain that breaks apart. You say, well, that's a cheap chain, don't you? We want one that's going to last. So we find here in verse, verse 3, the Bible says, No one can bind him, not even a chain. tells us he had but natural strength. Give you mind, he had multiple demons dwelling within him, both men, or the Matthew. And then no one could bind him. No one could control him. He couldn't put the chains on him to keep him secure in some place to keep him from terrifying people or from hurting himself. He couldn't do that. Because he had often, there verse 4, how much? Often, all the time, been doing what? He's been bound with shackles. Shackles are those things go around your ankles, bind your feet, keep you from moving very far, at least not very far, not very fast. And chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. You know, there are asylums where people go to try to get some type of treatment when they have mental problems, when they have mental disabilities, right? They, they go to those places to try to find some way to help that person so they can have some type of a normal life. Verse 4 says that wasn't possible with this man. At least not in this state, right? No one could tame him. Neither did anyone tame him. Verse 4. Now, feathers, or as King James says, or shackles, again, refers to legs around your feet. The evil spirits or demons, 
He says here, Luke, as he was actually kept under guard. He says here, in the latter part of verse, uh, verse 20, or Luke 8, verse 29, he had, he had unclean spirit to come out of, uh, let me back up a bit myself. I that was right. I just had the wrong verse written down here. He was going to right. Look at uh, 29. And he was kept under guard. For he had often seized him, the unclean spirit, and he was kept under guard. Bound with chains and shackles, he broke the bonds and was driven by the demons, by the demons into the wilderness. And so again, he was kept under guard because at least someone was watching him. Someone was keeping an eye on where this man, or these men rather, were at all times. No one, as we find also, if you look at more, uh, could not go by that place without being harassed. And so no one would go by. The Bible says there in verse Mark 5, verse 5, that he was always day and night, and night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now, the baby picking a different graphic for this, but I thought, no, we can just read the text. We understand what it means for a person to be cut with stones. Some, some say, well, he could have been cutting his face. Some say he could have been cutting his arms, which can be dangerous because they get down towards your wrist and no bad things can happen. But he was injuring himself repeatedly. The Bible tells us there he was always in the mountains night and day. He was in the tombs crying out as you can probably hear him from a distance. And he was cutting himself. I think about the, the image that this paints. An unclothed man who cannot be bound with chains or shackles, shouting about, running about, cutting himself, and no one can do anything about it. No one can tame him, right? Until someone else steps off the boat, right? Mark chapter 5. And I've said this before, that Christ and the truth and all reality of God's Word always is what changes any situation. And in Mark chapter 5, I say until Mark chapter 5, when Christ steps off the boat, this man was a very big problem. <clears throat> now, I want you to think about this for a moment. If you have a very big problem in your life, and someone helps you to remedy that, to overcome that, to solve whatever that problem is, wouldn't you want to get to know that person better and possibly make sure they are an active part of your life and that they move forward? If you have someone in your home who has a health condition and someone volunteers to help you, you want to get to know that person better, probably, don't you? We know in Mark's account and Luke's account and Matthew's as well that when Christ remedies and solves this situation, that is not the response that he gives. Well, let's keep reading. We'll get to that more in just a moment. So, we have the condition of the man, of the men, rather. They're unclothed in the mountains and in the tombs. They're not dwelling in any house. They're cutting themselves. They're shouting. They're running about. They're breaking any bond you try to place upon them. And then we get to Mark chapter 5, verse 6. You have the casting out of the demons. Remember, who was it that stepped off the boat in Mark 5, verse 1? Christ. If anyone else had stepped off the boat and saw those crazy men, they could do nothing about it. The Bible tells us no one could take him, right? No one could bind him. But when Christ steps off the boat in Mark 5, verse 1, the scene is going to change and does so quite drastically. Looking at Mark chapter 5, looking at verse 6, we find the panic of the demons. 
Now keep in mind, the Bible tells us that these men had been possessed of these evil, by these demons or evil spirits for a long time. This doesn't give us a specific number of, of days or months or years, but a long time to get it. They have been harassed, they have been, they have been brutalized, they have suffered. The men themselves have been tormented for a very long time because of the demons dwelling within them. No fault of their own, right? The men were not doing this. The beings that were in possession of them were doing this. Look at verse 6 of Matthew chapter 5. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Now this is the, the being inside this person who is recognizing Christ. Now, it's interesting to look at verse 6. You think he ran and worshipped him. And think, well, that sounds a little odd almost, right? Now, some commentators say this was an attempt at flattery by the man going and doing this. I don't really think that makes much sense to me, but anyway. Uh, this, this worship, though, seems to be more of an acknowledgement of Christ and a fearful recognition, a recognition of him. You look at Luke chapter 8, back in the verse 28, the same account here. He says, when he saw Jesus, he, he cried out, fell down before him with a loud voice. It doesn't say he worshiped him in Luke 8, verse 28. So I don't really believe that this is anything new to the actual attempt to worship Christ, but a fearful recognition, they recognize who Christ is, and they run and they fall down at his feet. And why did they do that? Look at verse 7. And he cried out with a loud voice, so this seems to be a, a demon speaking for all of them, right? And said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? What did that demon what did the demons do just in verse 7? Did they know exactly who just got off the boat? Absolutely. It's interesting to me how quickly they realize who just came in their area. And everything changes the moment they realize who is here. They have been possession of these two men for a long time. But when Christ comes on to the scene, literally arriving in their area, they immediately recognize who he is. They run and fall at his feet. Luke says there in Luke 8, verse 28, they fell down before him. What have demons to fear? Think about that for a moment. I won't give you any type of answer. I think we, can, we have multiple answers to that and some stipulation to that. But what do they have to fear? In short, the very Son of God, who just arrived. And we find in verse 28, and it fell down before him and said, reading from Luke's account, now Luke 8, verse 28, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of God, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. Matthew, Mark's account, Mark 5, verse 7, says the same thing. I implore you by God that you do not torment me. What does that statement imply about the power of Christ? in the itty-bitty power of the demons. They had nothing in comparison to what the Son of God possessed. They had no ability. Any ability they had just looked like nothing in the sight of the Son of God. Keeping in mind, they had been in possession of these two men for a long time. Cause 
possession of real power. It was Christ, wasn't it? And we say God. And God and God through Christ was going to show his power over the demons. And reality of our father, he already has, hasn't he? They're already trembling before him. They're already begging him not to torment them there in verse 7. Now again, this should be a, a terrifying situation to the to the normal human eye. Naked men running around in all for years, cutting themselves, doing all kinds of things, not being able to control them, scaring people. Christ is on the scene. You know, you can't scream and cry out and cut yourself at the same time when you're bowing down before Christ. What would happen? And here in quiet would probably fall over the tombs, wouldn't it? I don't hear that crazy man crying out, do you? Why? Because Christ has struck fear in the hearts of these very men. Keeping in mind, in Mark chapter 5, up to this point, Christ has yet to say a single solitary word. The very presence of Christ struck fear to the, to the heart, you might say, of these beings, and they're already turning around and begging not to be tormented. Now, to say there is speculation upon what that means, there is, that's to put it mildly, there's a lot of speculation on what that means. Some may say, some believe that the do not torment means reference to don't cast us out of this person because being cast out will cause us to feel like being tormented. Or it could be a reference to where he might cast him out to. They will, in Mark's account, talking about, you know, don't send us out of the country. But in Luke's account, he uses the word the abyss, which actually is a reference to the deep, depending on what translation you're looking at. And looking at the Greek, is that it brings it completely off the place which they could never return. Either way, they're asking not to be tormented because they knew the power of Christ, which means he could do to them whatever he pleased. Right? These men have been fearful, have caused fear among others, and now they are being having fear driven into them before Christ even others the word. No doubt, this shows the recognition of the power of Christ. They feared. He was there to torment them. Perhaps he cast him again like into the abyss, as referenced in Luke 8, verse 31. The abyss can also be a reference to the bottomless pit we read about in Revelation chapters 9, 11, 17, and 20. But either way, whether you're talking about the abyss, the bottomless pit, or just casting them out to a different area of the world, whatever it may be, they recognize that he could torment them in whatever fashion. They recognize he had power over them, and there is quite literally absolutely nothing that they could do about it. Those who were causing fear were now those who were in fear. You see how quickly Christ changes that. Those who were causing fear were now those who were in fear. The demons either you being cast out as being tormented or the place where they expect to be cast out to be tormenting them. But let's look further as we continue looking here. We're going to come back. We're not going to forget verse 8. We're going to 
move ahead with just a moment. We'll come back to verse 8. In verse 9, here the Bible says, And he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now, to me, that has always creeped me out a little bit to say we are many, and there's more than just one of, one of us here. That's a little creepy. But keeping in mind, Christ, in <laughs> some sense you could say, was grossly outnumbered, was he? There are many of us. Some say that perhaps the demons could be the many as 2,000 to get that because of the hurt of the swine that is nearby, that could have been almost 2,000. Some say this could have been because the word legion is actually reference to the Roman army who numbered 6,000. They had a legion together. Whatever the case may have been, there were numerous demons within these two individuals. And the numerous demons, the legion, for we are many, were in great fear because of he who was sent before them. We find in verse 10, the Bible says here, He also begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Again, Luke's account says, to the, into the abyss. Now a large herd of swine was being there near the mountain, so all the demons begged him. Now, now we have all the demons, verse 12, begged him to do what? Don't torment us, just send us to the swine. Send us into the herd of mass disgusting pigs over here and just let us be. Now we know as we find there in verse 12, they begged him, saying, Says the swine, we may enter them. Now, obviously, animals and humans are quite a bit different. We find when we get reading of the herd of swine, they would go down the mountain, go down the hillside, into the water, and they go all around. Well, Some would say, some commentators say, well, now they went into this. Bible doesn't say that. You can speculate that all you want, but that's not what the Bible says. Either way, the demons are no longer on the scene, and that is the point of what's happening here. The demons who had possessed these men for years and wreaked havoc upon the people where no one could pass by there were no longer there. Look at verse 13. At once, Jesus gave them what? Permission? I didn't think they even needed permission to act crazy, but apparently when they're being cast out by Christ and under complete terror, they had to ask, where do you want us to go? And they asked permission, begging him, and he permits them there in verse 13. The unclean spirits went out and entered the slide. There were about 2,000, and that's why some believe there's 2,000 demons. We never get the number, but there are many. And the herd ran violently down the steep place in the sea and drowned in the sea. Problem gone. I don't believe that took hours to do. I don't believe Christ would call and say, we're all going to have a big casting out party. We're going to cast all these demons out. No, he says actually in all reality in that whole situation, he says very little. Because he doesn't have to. The Son of God has the power given him by God to do these things. The demons who are causing fear without end fear, and he permits him to go to the swine, 
which go down to the sea and they drown in the sea. There was no longer the sound of men crying out in the tombs, was there? In fact, as we'll see in a moment, if you look at verse 8, where he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirits. And in verse 9, he asked him, What is their name? When Christ cast out the demons, how soon does a miracle that Christ performed affect everyone involved? What I mean by that is, as soon as he cast out the demons, what happened to those two men? The Bible tells us what happens, right? Because we found them doing what? Clothed, sitting still, and in their right mind, which we'll talk about again here in a moment. So the moment they are cast out, those men no longer have the torments which they had before. They no longer are crying out, they no longer are trying to cover themselves, they no longer have the power and the influence of the evil spirits, because they have been cast out by God. When the swine carry those, you'll get that way, demons away, did those two men have anything to fear any longer? Christ quite clearly removed the problem, didn't he? You know, for us today, we have to remember he still does that, doesn't he? By obeying God's word, reading and studying our Bibles and seeing and recognizing what God wants us to do and obey it, he removes those problems in our lives because we will, when we see the sin coming our way and temptation to do so, we can either overcome it, we can avoid it, we can recognize it, and when we do it again, we can repent of it. God has made a way for us to deal with those things whatever they come down our path. It's interesting to me that in Mark's, as we read Mark's account in all of them, Matthew and Luke's, when the demons come and fall down in, in, in the man, come and fall down before him, Christ really was face to face with evil. Wasn't he? He was face to face with numerous demons possessing these men. You picture that in your mind for all these unclothed men being been just marred by being cut by themselves. Over the years, the scars they must have had. It was years to say that, however long it was. And all the blood stains they may have had upon them. And we find in Mark's account that Christ, and this is where other accounts, that Christ stood the evil to stood up to the evil to its face, had the power within him and cast it out. And those two men who were abused for so long were now free from that hardship. You know, in many ways, we think about this for us today. When we obey the gospel. Doesn't much of a hardship go away? I mean, granted, we're going to have hard times as a Christian, but the pain and the temptation of the worldly should go away, shouldn't it? Let's look next at the fear that would happen. I'm getting ahead of myself. But let's go look at Mark chapter 5, looking at verse 18. Excuse me, Mark chapter 5, verse 14. What did they fear? The people we find in Mark 5, verse 14, the Bible says, So those who fled, who fed the swine fled. And those who kept 
What do you fear? What do you fear? You know, the men in Mark 5, the apostle fear, they read each of the very same problem. You know, they may fear that maybe somehow demons, maybe not the same ones, but maybe other demons might come and possess them again. I'm sure they had great fear never having these things to happen again. Look at Mark 5, look at verse 18. And when he got to the boat, he who had been demon possessed begged him that he might be with him. What do you want to do? I want to stay with you. Walk for his flocks. You can do that. You spare me. You save my life. You save his life. We want to stay with you. You know, in a very real sense today, much like the men wanted to follow Christ for comfort and safety, we too should have the same desire. We too should want to follow Christ because when we do that, we will have safety because we are obedient and we will have what? Comfort because we are with Christ. Look at Psalm 119, verse uh, 50. This is my comfort and my affliction, for your word has given me life. What gives him life and hearing his affliction during his difficulty? The word of God. The same should be spoken of us today. When hard times come, just give me the Bible, right? The song we sing sometimes. Just give me the Bible. Give me the word of God. That will give me comfort. You know, Christ overcame the power of Satan. You go back to Mark chapter 5. Remember the fear of the legion in Mark chapter 5? Verse 7, I implore you to do not torment me. The wicked fear God because he cannot be defeated. The faithful can find peace remembering the power of God. If the demons beg him not to torment him, not to torment them, do we worship and follow an awesome God? Yes. Some lessons for us today. Through God's Son, we have the victory. The demons at the thought of God and His Son tremble, as we were reminded there in James 2 and verse 19. The Bible tells us the demons even believe and tremble. Why? How do we know that? Because we saw them when they possessed those two men and Christ left off the bowl, they freaked out, didn't they? They fell down before him and begged him not to torture them. Why? Because someone far greater than them just arrived. Friends, someone far greater than us wants us to have heaven as our home. We want for us to do that. We have to obey the gospel. God has given us the pathway to heaven. We just have to follow it. What are we to fear? You know, in this account of the demons falling down before the before Christ, what's interesting is that was seen by others. They knew the man was demon possessed. If you see a demon possessed man fall down in fear before Christ, did that tell you something? About the awesome power of the Son of God? About the awesome power of God in general? What have we to fear? As I said before, our God is an awesome God. Be reminded in Psalm 111, verse 9, the Bible says, He has sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. The King James translates the word awesome there, reverend. Holy and reverend is His name. Holy holy and awesome is His name. We worship an awesome God. One who is not afraid of demons. 
One who's not afraid of the demon possessed. One who cares for the souls of men. Do you consider the power of God in difficult times? You know, those who fear God, those who have fears, will be those who are living in righteousness. If we're living righteously, we have nothing to fear. But what do we do? We consider the power of God in difficult times. You know, the people of our five saw power and fear, and let's consider it and be thankful for the power of God, not be afraid of it. You know, without God and His Word, or excuse me, with God and His Word, rather, we can face down anything that may come. You know, notice how Christ was received after the, when, he, when He left that region. God tells us He got to the boat, right? And He returned. Look how He was received at the very next event. Look at Luke chapter 8, verse 40. So it was so it was when Jesus returned and the multitude welcomed him, but they were all awaiting, or all waiting rather, for him. Probably waiting for Christ. Oh, because he's the one. You remember the next occasion of Luke chapter 8, verse 40 and following, he performed yet another miracle, healing another person. But the response was different. It wasn't fear, it was let's get him here quickly. We're all waiting for Christ. And would see that about them waiting for him there that they perhaps heard he was coming back or saw the boat from a distance, whatever they had been, and they were literally waiting for him. Friends, we should have that same eagerness. They knew his power and they did not fear. You know, do we greet the Lord's day the way they greeted Christ in Luke 8, verse 40? They were just waiting for it. Do we look for the Lord's day and we're just waiting for to get here because we're so ready to worship God together? We're so ready to study the Word of God together. We're so ready to be together, to think about and to contemplate all those things that God has done for us, to offer up prayers to Him, to confess our sins to Him, asking others perhaps to pray for us as well. Do we look forward to that time? Because we should. You know, you think about Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Now I said, the multitude welcomed him, but they were all waiting for him. Do we, are we living our lives in such a way that we can be prepared to meet Christ on the judgment day? Now the faithful Christians should look forward to the judgment day because we know that we are, we are living faithful before God. That is the day that we get to go home, right? But for those who are not, that day is totally different. The demons in Mark 5, <laughs> they weren't prepared, right? How could they be? They met the one who would send them wherever he wanted. They begged not to be tortured. And on the day of judgment, if we're not right inside of God, no begging is going to change anything. <clears throat> we must be right on the side of God. So we, we meet him on the day, we cry on the day of judgment. We can do so with a welcoming smile, glad to see our Lord and Savior. Let's not fear that day. Let's not fear as Christians anything that comes our way. Because no matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens to our community around us, God is always in control. You know, you think about in Mark chapter 5, those events, 
Those individuals, try as they might, could not control that situation. But I will tell you, you broke everything. You're in there on the screen, hollering, they didn't do anything about it. They could not control him. You know, God is always in control. No matter how many people around us are shouting and doing things which are really immoral and ungodly, God is still in control. Let us not allow them to distract us and be prepared in the judgment day. Because we want to be those who like here in Luke chapter 8, when, we met, when they met Christ, they were welcoming him. Let's make sure that we do it all the weekend so we can be prepared for the judgment day.